0: Good morning. morning. Mother Nature threw a wrench in my preaching plans for this series. Um, So the last time we gathered was the beginning of February uh, to talk about the beloved community. And on March 14th, you had a snow day. Yeah, I was happy. Yeah, happy for you. But that just means that I have to preach two sermons today instead of one. So I'm sorry for you. (laughs) Um, It's not looking good for you today. Yeah, (laughs) so let me pray for you. (laughs) Oh, God, we are glad to be here. And as Stephen just prayed, God, we pray for your peace to just reign over us in the next few moments. God, we're reminded today of your servant, Martin Luther King, Jr., who died 50 years ago this day, who was martyred for his faith and for his strong belief that Christians are people committed to justice. So, God, we thank you for him, and for his life, but we know that deep within that man was a desire to love you and serve you. And that he gave the ultimate sacrifice as he followed you to the cross. God, we thank you for your presence with us today. Would you help us to see you today in each other? Amen. Amen. So, back in February, where we left off, um, in John 13... Jesus was washing the disciples' feet and the mark and the beloved community that he demonstrated there was loving, loving his friends, loving them all the way to the end. Having loved his own, he loved them to the end. And then Jesus, knowing where he had come from and knowing where he was going, he took off his robe and he filled the basin and he put the towel on and he began to wash his disciples' feet, loving others to the end. It didn't come out and just say it to us in words in chapter 13, but it was said to us in Jesus' actions. Um, And Jesus will love his disciples all the way to the end in John chapter 19, all the way to the cross. John 15, these were Jesus' words To his disciples, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. So today is the final sermon in our series in the Beloved Community. And we're going to look at first the final mark, the mark of the cross. And then finally, I'm going to try and pull everything together from where we began on September 6th, it's a long time ago. So, in spring of 2013, um, my son Jesse was eight eight or nine years old, Uh, he was in the second grade, and his Sunday school teacher in our church announced to the class that they would be sponsoring a child through Nazarene Compassionate Ministries, and that they would be doing that all throughout the year. And he was excited about that, and so he came home and shared that with us, shared that they would be, um, each week, um, one of the kids in the class was to take on the responsibility of giving $20 towards sponsoring their child, uh, the the child that was in the program. And um, so he came home and shared that with us. We were like, awesome. I'm so glad we have Sunday school teachers who... Help our students understand that it's not just uh, talk in the classroom, but it's actually lived out. And it might cost us something to follow Jesus. So we thought that was awesome. So a few days later, Jesse was asking me, he said, Mom, how does that machine work at the bank that you put the card in and then the money comes out? I said, well, we have money saved in the bank. The bank holds it for us, and you have money in the bank, right? He had a savings account. I said, you know, if we put our card in, we ask how much we want out, it will come out of the machine. So um, he thought that was great, and um, he said, "I'd, I'd like to take out $150 out of my savings account. Okay, so Jesse, it was spring at this point. Jesse had saved up about $200 from uh, Christmas gifts and birthdays, and he was very good saving his money. I hope that, that stays, that sticks. Um, but so he, he knew he had $200 that said, I'd like to take out $150 to give to my sponsor child. And like any good chaplain mother, I was like, what? You can't do that. <laughs> Really? You want to give all that money to the sponsor child? Um, Shame on me. (laughs) And he's like, well, Mom, he's like, what do I need? I have everything I need. I think it's important for us to just stop for one moment and think about the world that we live in, that my 8-year-old son has $200 in his savings account, while um, the equivalent of that in, in, in the life of most people in the world, that's about a third of their annual uh, salary, that my eight-year-old son had that in his bank account. I don't have an answer to that. I just think we ought to stop and think about that for a moment. So I said to Jesse, first I apologized and said, you're right. You should give $150 and not, feel, and not feel like your mother thinks that's a terrible idea. So I, I apologize, and we got $150 out of the ATM. And Jesse, at 8 years old, wadded up the cash, and that Sunday he stuck it in his pocket, and he walked into his Sunday school classroom with this huge wad of money sticking out of, out of his pocket. They got to the point in Sunday school where the teacher asked for anybody who had something to give to the sponsor child, and, you know, Jesse just pulls that wad out and slaps it down and gives it to the teacher, and um, she stopped the class, <laughs> and um, she asked Jesse, what is that? <laughs> and uh, he said, that's my money for our sponsor child today, and so she, uh, she spent just a moment there and thanked God for providing for their sponsored child, not just for that Sunday, for, but for really several months at that point. Um, kids are great. Kids are great. They do this for us. They, um, they have this intrinsic knowledge of what is really important in life. And um, they see things from a perspective that we, we can lose as we age, right? Um, they bring clarity to our lives, and Jesse did that for me and I think for, for his teachers that day. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. Our scripture for today, it brings clarity for us. Jesus, just in these two verses, there have been so many misunderstandings through the whole book of John that his disciples have missed, but he makes it very clear right here. He is not mincing his words because he shares with them, number one, love one another as I have loved you, and number two, Greater love has no one than this than he lay down his life for his friends. The nature of the cruciform love or cross-shaped love that marks the beloved community, it's indicated by those last words with the disciples. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is one of my favorite authors. I'm looking at Bubba's smile right now. I, Bubba, I think that someone should have created a chapel bingo this year. And anytime I mentioned either Bonhoeffer or Henry Nowen or any time Regine came up and said, hi, friends, <laughs> or um time we sang the doxology at the end, like you would get a bingo. You get, you know, get to mark it off on your bingo card. And at the end of any chapel, if I had done any of those things or any of those things that happened, you could yell a bingo at the end of doxology. I think it should have happened. I was a little disappointed, but maybe next year. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, sorry, I got distracted. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is one of my favorite um, authors um, because he modeled, he lived this out for us. In 1935, Dietrich Bonhoeffer returned to Germany by his own choice. He had been living in the United States. He had escaped Germany in the middle of of Nazi Germany. He was in the United States in 1935. He returned to Germany of his own choice. And what he did was he directed an illegal church training college in Germany. This was not a secluded monastic community and it was not a trade school. The purpose of the training college that Dietrich Bonhoeffer led and directed in 1935. It, um, it was an attempt at living life together in a Christian community. I want to read what he, how he described it. Um, Young ministers who came from all over the Reich learned there what is so sorely needed today. Namely, that how in the 20th century a Christian life should be lived in a spirit of genuine brotherhood and how such a life could naturally and freely grow if there were only men who entirely belonged to the Lord and therefore in brotherly love to one another. Now, there are some missiological problems in that, but... I believe that what he was doing is what we've been trying to do, was trying to help a group of men figure out how to live as a beloved community. Five years later, in 1940, the college was closed down by the Gestapo, and Bonhoeffer himself was eventually placed in a Nazi prison camp. But he never regretted his decision, not even in prison, and he wrote this many years later, I am sure of God's hand and guidance. You must never doubt that I am thankful and glad to go the way which I am being led. My past life is abundantly full of God's mercy, and above all sin stands the forgiving love of the crucified. To deny oneself is to be aware only of Christ, To see him only going before us and no more the road which is too hard for us. He leads the way. Keep close to him and take up his cross. On April 9th, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in 1945, he was martyred for his own faith. Greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends At this point in our series of living as the beloved community, I hope that some of you are asking this question. Why would I want to be a part of the beloved community? What is it? What is it about the beloved community that would compel me to abandon the life that I am currently living for something different? I hope that some of you are asking yourselves that question. Our God is the God who bears. Jesus Christ, God's Son, bore flesh. He bore our sins. And he bears the cross. And in the same way, Jesus invites us to bear the cross with him. We can, if we choose, we can shake off the cross. We can choose not to bear it. But in doing so, it means that we will uh, carry another cross. We will bear another burden, the burden of ourselves, right? We will take on the yoke of ourselves. But Jesus invites us to all who are weary and heavy laden to take his yoke upon us because his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. And so this is it. This is the final distinguishing mark of the beloved community, the mark of the cross. It is the distinguishing mark of Christianity, Jesus Christ crucified. There is no other ancient world religion, no other deity, no other God, no other divine being that is marked by the crucifixion. It is exclusive to the Christ of Christianity. Why would I want to be a part of the beloved community where the Christ of Christianity is crucified on a cross? Why? What is it that, means, that would mean so much that I would give up the way that I am living in exchange for being a part or being called God's beloved? being a part of the beloved community. Have you ever been driving down the road and the person oncoming has on their high beams? Yeah, we've had that happen. And you try to give them ben- the benefit of the doubt, right? Maybe they didn't realize that their high beams were on, um, so, you know, you you flash your high beams and and hopefully they get the message that they need to turn theirs off. But sometimes they don't, whether it's just <clears throat> ignorance or they didn't see it or they, they just are going to leave their high beams on. They don't care that you're coming on to them. It's, and so what do we, in response to that, okay, you've given them the benefit of the doubt, you've shined your high beams, and, and they haven't turned them off. And so what do we do? We turn on our high beams. I'm going to get you right? You think you can come, you can leave on your high beams. Now I'm going to blind you. So we're both blinded now, driving towards each other at 60, 65, 70, right Mike? Miles an hour and neither of us can see. We do that. We do that. What is that about us? Martin Luther King Jr., he recalled driving one night from Atlanta to Chattanooga with his brother, A.D., who was at the wheel. And he shares, most of the cars in the opposite lane coming towards them failed to dim their lights. And so his brother angrily vowed, I'm going to keep on my high beams in retaliation. And Martin Luther King, Jr., looked at his brother, and he said, don't do that. Don't do that. There will be too much light on this highway, and it will end in mutual destruction for all of us. Somebody has got to have some sense on this highway. Now, I don't know that he said it in those specific words. I know if, if I were sitting next to my brother, I might, I might be, don't do that, you idiot. Right? That would have been, but they, it sounds nice, right? There would be too much destruction for us all. I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't insinuate that. Maybe that's the way he said that. But he was sharing this with his congregation, the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama, during a 1957 sermon. And he shared this. Someone, someone must have enough sense to dim the lights. That is the trouble, isn't it? That as all of the civilizations of the world move up the highway of history, so many civilizations having looked at other civilizations that refused to dim the lights that they decided to refuse to dim theirs. More than half a century later, in a world full of controversial politics, of arguing and fighting and one-upmanship, His words remain relevant for us today. Returning hate for hate multiplies hate. Adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. A community of people who identify themselves as the beloved sons and daughters. We are not a perfect community. I don't want you to think that we've walked through this whole year and that I've had some sort of rose-colored glasses on as I've shared every sermon with you. Because for every mark of the beloved community, there is a counter mark for every mark we bear there is a countermark that is born in our community let me explain if we are people who bring reconciliation to our community then it means that there is also brokenness here with us if we are people who bring justice through friendship it means then that there are people who are standing in the margins that we must go to if we are people who bring compassion then that means that there are people in our community who are suffering deep loss. If we are people who pour out beauty, then there must be spaces here among us where there is either a vacancy, a loss, an absence of beauty, or where evil has taken that place. And if we are people who bear the cross to live, then we also bear the cross in surrendering everything there. But this is the community that we are. We don't get it right every moment of every day. As Jeff Kirksey shared with us at some point this semester, we become the beloved community by being the beloved community. The chapel theme was not hoping to live as the beloved community, or praying to live as the beloved community. I actually thought of those words. And it's not that we don't hope for it or that we don't pray for it, but I really wanted us to hear this. I wanted you to hear this. I chose to declare it this way, that we are living as the beloved community here. It takes the day in, day out practice of living reconciliation, justice, compassion, beauty, and surrender to the cross to live this way. This is who we are. And I have seen it here. I saw it in my second grader who gave his savings to sponsor a child. I've seen it in staff and faculty who want to make things right, who, um, who work towards reconciliation when things are broken. I've seen that here. I've seen students who dance with friends who are different. We have seen people in our community who sit with dying people. Right? We have seen that happen this year. We have seen people walk dogs and bring food to people who are dying. We watched that happen this year. We have seen beauty poured out in chapel and in Cove, right, where we worship and dance and create art and pray. We have seen that happen this year. in people here on campus who get this, I have seen this, that all of this is possible only when when we put our whole selves, all that we do, all that we have, all that others say about us, all that has been done to us, all of that is only possible when we take all of that and we put it at the foot of the cross. I'm not sure what kind of life you are currently living or what it is that you are saying to yourself today is worth holding on to But I'm asking you this morning to listen to the voice of God who may be saying to you, are you tired of identifying yourself as something other than God's beloved? Are you tired of that? I believe that God is speaking to some of us today to bring that, to bring the person that you are The person that falls short of seeing yourself as God's beloved. And I believe that God is speaking to us today, speaking to you today, to bring that to the cross. We're going to um, sing a song in closing. I could not get away from God's asking me to provide some space today for you to pray. And so as they sing, I want you to ask yourself this question. Is God speaking to you this morning? Is he inviting you to let go, to leave it, to surrender it, to put it down? The identity that falls short of knowing yourself as God's beloved son or daughter.
1: Thank mm-hmm. you. So... can I say? What can I do? Will offer this heart, oh God, completely to you. So what can I say? i Lynn came to speak and prayed for peace and it's just as Lynn had shared uh, not just praying for the beloved community but to be the beloved community um, the priests were to pronounce a blessing over the people that they would simply just receive the peace the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace receive the peace of jesus christ we just sang about having our hearts surrendered that's the way to do that would you stand with me as we close with the doxology praise god from whom